It's July the 22nd. Let's read the Bible. Friends, welcome back to this year-long journey from Genesis to Revelation in just one year. Glad to have you with us today. Big day because we're starting a new book of the Bible. We just finished Ezra. We're going to hop right into the wonderful book of Nehemiah. I suppose between those two books, um, I think more pastors preach from Nehemiah than preach from Ezra. But those two books go together. And I've told you that in originally in the Hebrew Bible, those two books were one book, one long scroll written, we think, by Ezra the scribe. So we're going to get into that in just a moment. Let me remind you, if you're new to this, let's read the Bible. Let me remind you, all the videos for this year, all of them, you can find at least the ones we've done so far through July the 22nd, all of them are archived, Facebook, YouTube, uh, Rumble, and on the Keep Believing um, no, Keep Believing website, Facebook. The reason I'm pausing there is because there are two different places on Facebook, on my personal page, on the Keep Believing Facebook page, also on YouTube, also on Rumble, and at keepbelieving.com. And I think if you want to find the easy, find these videos easiest, go to keepbelieving.com, click on Let's Read the Bible, and then you just go down there, and they're organized on that page uh, by months, January, February, March, April, May, June, July, and God willing, by the end of the year, on through the month of December. So you can watch these videos free of charge anytime, uh, 24-7, 365. Okay, this amazing book of Nehemiah. Let me just put it in context. If 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 we're saying that Ezra and Nehemiah go together, and they do, there's about a, uh, about a 12 or 13 year gap. Just think of it that way. Come to the end of Ezra, then go forward about a dozen years. You've, you've gone from about 457 BC to 445 BC. So let's just say it that way. Nehemiah is, the, is a story that begins 445 BC, and this book is going to cover about 20 years, 20 years in Israel's history. There's a 12 year gap between Ezra and Nehemiah. Here's a very simple outline of the book. Rebuilding the walls, chapters 1 through 7. Renewing the covenant, chapters 8 through 10. Reviving the nation, chapters 11 through 13. Let me say that again. Rebuilding the walls. That's the part we know the best, chapters 1 through 7. Renewing the covenant, based on the Word of God, chapters 8, 9, and 10. And then Nehemiah is going to lead the people into a national kind of revival, chapters 11, 12, and 13. Now, one other thing, and we're going to jump right into the, the text today. We're going to read uh, chapters 1, 2, and 3 of Nehemiah in just a second. Five fast facts about Nehemiah. Number one, Nehemiah was the cupbearer to a Persian king by the name of Artaxerxes. Artaxerxes, great, great names, fun to say. The cupbearer was the man who tasted the wine before the king did uh, to make sure that there was no poison in it. In other words, it had to be a man that the king trusted greatly and a man who eventually would become not just the king's friend, but also the king's counselor. So Nehemiah had a very important position in the Persian court. He was cupbearer to the king. Number two, under his leadership, the walls around the city of Jerusalem were rebuilt in an amazing 52 days. 
it, with modern equipment, it would be hard to do that in 52 days. It's unbelievable to think about doing it roughly 2,500 years ago in just 52 days. Um, when you think about Nehemiah, there's one other book I want you to put with it. I've already said Ezra and Nehemiah, but over here, I want you to join, join with it in your mind, the book of Malachi. Nehemiah is the latest book to be written in the Old Testament. The only book that could be written any later, and probably was, was the prophet Malachi. So Malachi is hanging off at the very end of the Old Testament. Basically, when you read Malachi, you discover there's a, a there's a, a great condemnation of formalism in religion. That is, you're, you're you're bringing all these sick animals and lame animals, and and you're not serious about the worship of God. You wonder how it could have sunk down so low when you read Malachi. Okay, Nehemiah is the answer to that question. Nehemiah describes the condition about 445, 425 B.C. We think Malachi probably wrote within 20 years after that, maybe 400 B.C. So when you read Malachi, understand it's the, it's the outcome of what happened during the days of Nehemiah. So put those two books together. Um, the other thing we learned, this is the fourth fascinating fact about Nehemiah, the amazing power of united effort under God. Let me say that again. The amazing power of united effort under God and with his blessing. There was no way to get that wall built, even with the hearts of everybody working together, unless God was in it with them. And, and finally, and we'll see this a little bit in the early chapters, more in the later chapters, the constant danger of slipping away from the Lord. You know we think about Ezra, the way it ended with those marriages being broken up and the wives and the children being sent away. Well, we're now 12 years later. Those same problems are still there in the nation. We're going to see that as we get to the end of Nehemiah. Now, let's put all that aside. Let's read the book, shall we? Nehemiah 1, 2, and 3. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah, during the month of Chislev in the 20th year, when I was in the fortress city of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, arrived with men from Judah, and I questioned them about Jerusalem, Jerusalem, and the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile. They said to me, "The remnant in the province who survived the exile are in great trouble and disgrace. Jerusalem's wall has been broken down, and its gates have been burned." You understand, of course. Interject to say here, in the ancient world, the only way a city could be saved was to have walls and gates all the way around. And, and we've dug up, the archaeologists dug up a great many of the ancient cities, and, and we've seen the ruins of those ancient walls. So Jerusalem, with the walls down and the gates burned, it was open to marauders, to pirates, to troublemakers, to people who hated the Jews and what they stood for. Jerusalem now, is just an open ruin, like, like a field, like an open field, ruined and destroyed by the army of Babylon. Now, many years later, the Jews are back in the land, but the wall has been broken now. So that's the background. Verse 4, when I heard these words, I sat down and wept. I mourned for a number of days, fasting and praying before the God of the heavens. I said, Lord, the God of the heavens, the great and awe-inspiring God, 
who keeps his gracious covenant with those who love him and keep his commands. Let your eyes be open and your ears be attentive to hear your servant's prayer that I now pray to you day and night for your servants, the Israelites. I confess the sins we have committed against you. Both I and my father's family have sinned. We have acted corruptly towards you and have not kept the commands, statutes, and ordinances you gave your servant Moses. Please remember what you commanded your servant Moses. If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and carefully observe my commands, even though your exiles were banished to the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place where I chose to have my name dwell. They are your servants and your people. You redeem them with your great power and strong hand. Please, Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to that of your servants who delight to revere your name. Give your servant success today and grant him compassion in the presence of this man. At the time, I was the king's cupbearer. He's praying that Artaxerxes will grant him permission to go back and rebuild the walls. Chapter 2, here comes the answer. During the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was set before him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had never been sad in his presence. So the king said to me, why do you look so sad when you aren't sick? There's nothing but sadness. This is nothing but sadness of heart. I was overwhelmed with fear and replied to the king, may the king live forever. Why should I not be sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? Then the king asked me, what is your request? So I prayed to the God of the heavens and answered the king, if it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor with you, send me to Judah and to the city where my ancestors are buried so that I may rebuild it. The king with the queen seated beside him asked me, how long will your journey take and when will you return? So I gave him a definite time, and it pleased the king to send me. I also said to the king, If it pleases the king, let me have letters written to the governors of the region west of the Euphrates River, so that they will grant me safe passage until I reach Judah. And let me have a letter written to Asaph, keeper of the king's forest, so that he will give me timber to rebuild the gates of the temple's fortress, the city wall, and the home where I will live. The king granted my request, for the gracious hand of my God was on me. I went to the governors of the region west of the Euphrates and gave them the king's letters. The king also had sent officers of the infantry and cavalry with me. When Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard that someone had come to pursue the prosperity of the Israelites, they were greatly displeased. After I arrived in Jerusalem and had been there three days, I got up at night and took a few men with me. I didn't tell anyone what my God had laid on my heart to do for Jerusalem. The only animal I took was the one I was riding. I went out at night through the valley gate toward the serpent's well and the dung gate, and I inspected the walls of Jerusalem that had been broken down and its gates that had been destroyed by fire. I went on to the fountain gate and the king's pool, but farther down it became too narrow for my animal to go through. So I went up at night by way of the valley and inspected the wall. Then heading back, I entered through the valley gate and returned. The officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing. For I had not yet told the Jews, priests, nobles, officials, or the rest of those who would be doing the work. So I said to them, You see the trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins, and, it get, and its gates have been burned. Come, let's rebuild Jerusalem's walls so that we will no longer be a disgrace. I told them how, how the gracious hand of my God had been on me and what the king had said to me. They said, Let's start rebuilding, and their hands were strengthened to do this good work. 
when Sanballat the Horonite, Tobiah the Ammonite official, and Geshem the Arab heard about this, they mocked and despised us and said, what is this you're doing? Are you rebelling against the king? I gave them this reply. The God of the heavens is the one who will grant us success. We, his servants, will start building, but you have no share, right, or historic claim in Jerusalem. Nehemiah 3. The high priest Eliashib and his fellow priests began rebuilding the sheep gate. They dedicated it and installed its doors. After building the wall to the tower of the hundred and the tower of Hananel, they dedicated it. The men of Jericho built next to Eliashib, and next to them Zachar, son of Imri, built. The sons of Hassanah built the fish gate. They built it with beams and installed its doors, bolts, and bars. Next to them, Merimoth, son of Uriah, son of Hakaz, made repairs. Beside them, Meshulam, son of Barakiah, son of Meshazabal, made repairs. Next to them, Zadok, son of Baanah, made repairs. Now notice verse 5. Beside them, the Tekoites made repairs, but their nobles did not lift a finger to help their supervisors. Note in this great story here, we're being told who was willing to work. In this case, we're being told that the, that the, uh, the nobles of Tekoa wanted no part in it. Yeah. They made the book, but probably not the way they wanted. Verse 6, Joyada, son of Pasia, and Meshulam, son of Besodiah, repaired the old gate. They built it with beams and installed its doors, bolts, and bars. Next to them, the repairs were done by Melatiah the Gibeonite, Jadon the Mer- Meranothite, and the men of Gibeon and Mizpah, who were under the authority of the governor of the region west of the Euphrates River. After him, Uziel, son of Harhiah, the goldsmith, made repairs. Next to him, Hananiah, son of the perfumer, made repairs. They restored Jerusalem as far as the broad wall. Next to them, Rephiah, son of Hur, ruler of half the district of Jerusalem, made repairs. After them, Jediah, son of Harumaf, made repairs across from his house. Next to him, Hattush, the son of Hashabniah, made repairs. Malchijah, son of Harim, and Hashub, son of Pehath Moab, made repairs to another section, as well as to the Tower of the Ovens. Beside him, Shalom, son of Halohesh, ruler of half the district of Jerusalem, made repairs, he and his daughters. The girls made the book, too. Hanun and the inhabitants of Zenoah repaired the valley gate. They rebuilt it and installed its doors, bolts, and bars, and repaired 500 yards of the wall to the dung gate. Malchijah, son of Rechab, ruler of the district of Beth Hakarim, repaired the dung gate. He rebuilt it and installed its doors, bolts, and bars. Shalun, son of Kol Hosi, ruler of the district of Mizpah, repaired the fountain gate. He rebuilt it and roofed it. Then he installed its doors, bolts, and bars. He also made repairs for the wall of the pool of Shelah near the king's garden as far as the stairs that descend from the city of David. After him, Nehemiah, the son of Azbuk, ruler of half the district of Bethzur, made repairs up to a point opposite the tombs of David as far as the artificial pool and the house of the warriors. Next to him, the Levites made repairs under Rehum, son of Bani. Beside him, Hashabiah, ruler of half the district of Hila, made repairs for his district. After him, their fellow Levites made repairs under Benui, son of Hinadad, ruler of half the district of Kila. Next to Ezer, son of Jeshua, ruler of Mizpah, made repairs to another section opposite the ascent to the armory at the angle. After him, Baruch, son of Zabai, diligently repaired another section from the angle to the door of the house of the high priest Eliashib. 
Beside him, Merimoth, son of Uriah, son of Hakaz, made repairs to another section from the door of Eliashib's house to the end of the house. And next to him, the priests from the surrounding area made repairs. After them, Benjamin and Hashub made repairs opposite their house. Beside them, Azariah, son of Maaseah, son of Ananiah, made repairs beside his house. After him, Benui, son of Hinnadad, made repairs to another section from the house of Azariah to the angle and the corner. Palal, son of Uzai, made repairs opposite the angle and tower that juts out from the king's upper palace by the courtyard of the guard. Beside him, Padiah, son of Parash, and the temple servants living on Ophel, made repairs opposite the water gate toward the east and the tower that juts out. Next to him, the Tekoites made repairs to another section from a point opposite the great tower that juts out as far as the wall of Ophel. Each of the priests made repairs above the horse gate, each opposite his own house. After them, Zadok, son of Emmer, made repairs opposite his house. And beside him, Shemaiah, son of Shechaniah, guard of the east gate, made repairs. Next to him, Hananiah, son of Shelemiah, and Hanun, the sixth son of Zalaph, made repairs to another section. After them, Meshulam, son of Berechiah, made repairs opposite his room. Next to him, Malchijah, one of the goldsmiths, made repairs to the house of the temple servants and the merchants opposite the inspection gate, as far as the upstairs room on the corner of the goldsmiths, and the merchants made repairs between the upstairs room on the corner and the sheep gate. And there's quite a story. There's so much here. There's a message here about uh, about prayer. There's a message here about the burdens of the heart. Nehemiah, though he served as cupbearer to a Persian king hundreds of miles away, he never forgot who he was and where he came from. You got it? He's like Daniel in that respect. Daniel may have looked and acted and talked like a Babylonian, but inside was the beating heart of a Jewish man of God. He never forgot Jerusalem. He never forgot his people. Same way for Nehemiah. I mean, he was, well, what would we say? He's like the chief of staff for the king. He's, uh, he's one of the kings, the Persian king's most trusted advisors. And yet when he heard how bad things were in Jerusalem, it broke his heart and he began to weep. And he prayed and asked God for favor. And God gave him favor, and he made wise plans. He even told the king, I'm going to leave, but this is when I'm going to come back. He asked the king for letters of introduction. He asked the king for instructions. He asked the king for his blessing. He asked the king to make the way straight. The king gave him everything he asked for because the good hand of the Lord was upon him. When he got there, he made that nighttime inspection. He was a man of discretion. He didn't tell everybody until he had seen for himself the situation. He, didn't, he wasn't a big talker. What, what a great leader. Then in chapter 3, he united the people. He got that for the most part, not in every case, but it, for the most part, that wall going all the way around, if you live near the wall, you repaired the wall in front of your house. That's the part you were most concerned of. We have this over and over again in, in front of his room, in front of his house. And, and so the people worked with their neighbors and you did your part, and I did my part. Together, we got this part done. And Malkaiji got his part done. And the goldsmiths got their part done. And the perfumers, just get that, the perfumers, the guys who dealt with you know, fragrances, the perfumers, they did their part. The only people who didn't do their part is the noblemen of Tekoa, who were above this thing. 
Yeah, but they made the book. They're the one. And that father with his daughter is working. Well, God bless them all. God, it just shows you. I said it earlier. It shows you the power of united effort by the people of God under the leadership of God, led by the Spirit of God, directed by the man of God, Nehemiah. What a man, what a story. What a miracle is taking place here. That's it for today. Go out and have a great day. Folks, you got to come back because it just looks like everything's going great. That's about to change. We're about to run into some real, with the sand ballot and Tobiah and the boys, they know they're up to no good. They're going to try to stop this. You got to come back and there's going to be trouble tomorrow. So go out and have a great day. Come back tomorrow. We're going to see what's going to happen next in the MI. See you then.